Next time you pass through Franklin Square, I'm going to call it and say you will notice something new there. It's pretty hard to miss. You'll hear what's happening and the significance of it after the divinals. Vinyls, Boys in Town, ABC Radio Hobart and across Tasmania for your afternoon. Next time you pass through Franklin Square, you will notice something new there. You'll still see a fountain in the middle and both Crowther and Franklin on their usual perches, but the trucks and chains and cranes have been settling into place something new, a great skeleton of a ship of the 19th century and in it, a metal canoe like one you'd expect to see made out of stringy bark. Soon they'll be set up with audio inside them too to tell their own stories to you. But for now, two of the creators can explain what's happening. At the moment, they've got the wreck of the Erebus and they're just about to lower the canoe. You know, it's the first time any Tasmanian Aboriginal sculpture, it's going to be the first Tasmanian Aboriginal sculpture within Hobart City. My name's Tony Brown. Um, my involvement in this as a Tasmanian Aboriginal person, Tasmanian Aboriginal consultant. So look, it's been fantastic um, just being involved in the project. 
it's going to be the first Tasmanian Aboriginal sculpture within Hobart City. So, you know, kudos to the Hobart City Council um, for making that decision to put something within the Hobart City Council precinct to do with Tasmanian Aboriginal culture. And, and I think it's a little bit ironic with the location as well. You know, we've got Franklin, we've got Crowther, and this is the, the site of um, Government House as well. So, you know, the Aboriginal people... Uh, the last group of Tasmanian Aboriginal people walked down um, Macquarie Street. Um, they were brought into Government House, uh, and they were shipped off to off to Flinders as part of the Robinson um, uh, conciliation. So you know, it's 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 absolutely fantastic that this project was completed because you know it got to the stage where I didn't actually think it would be completed because you know it's just one of those things that just dragged on and on and on. And um, you know, a few months ago, um, I saw some images of how good it was going um, and we've got this you know it's almost completed uh, the canoe's almost almost settled um, into its final resting place <laughs> I'm uh, Nigel Hellier I'm the artist uh, behind the Two Islands project you are known for your major sculptural works where would we find a few of them in the world um, you'd find a few in Sydney next to the Boyd Charlton pool in the harbour um, the wireless house on Glee Point Road, Macquarie University, and you'd find probably a whole bunch in Western Australia, big kinetic wind sculptures. There's several over there, a few floating ones. <laughs> How did you come to be creating one for Hobart? Oh, well, it was an open competition. Um, I've, I've had quite a long association with Tasmania. I've been coming down here for years and years, mainly associated with the art school of galleries. And... Uh, yeah, I just read the advert, basically, and applied for it. What's the story you're telling? Well, it's it's really an attempt to look at the kind of intertwined histories of, of European settler culture and, in, and Indigenous Aboriginal culture. And I, I don't really think that story's been told in a major work before. But it's... it's um, in a way, it kind of entwines the kind of maritime histories of, of both um, peoples and uses a kind of the, the uh, Aboriginal canoe, a very beautiful shape of, of that canoe, and that's expressed in a very almost a futuristic way. And then the kind of, uh, you could say, the wreck of the European ship, of Franklin's sh ship, the Erebus, that went down in the Northwest Passage. How wide-reaching have the partnerships been in putting this project together? Well, right from the very outset, I... I I said in my proposal that I would get everything manufactured in Tasmania, basically keep the money in the family. And so um, the uh, steel work was done um, down in Muna by Dynamic Welding. All the woodwork was done by um, the Wooden Boat Centre uh, near Franklin. And the, even the electronics, the uh, little audio server, was done by a crew called Barking Owl, which is Tasmanian based. So I managed to do it. It's... Um, the fact that I, I, I'm not based here made life a little difficult. Um, it's kind of doing it kind of via remote control, or, although many visits. But I'm glad we managed to do, to do that. What did you want this sculpture to tell the story of? Look, I, I think the sculpture is going to tell the story of the continuation of Tasmanian Aboriginal culture within Tasmania. Um, I was responsible for, when I was the Senior Curator of Indigenous Cultures at TMAG, the building of the first full-length Tasmanian Aboriginal 
canoe in about 180 years. So, um, you know, and to see something like this in a completely different form, uh, the shape is the same, but the form in metal, um, stainless steel metal, um, you know, as opposed to, um, you know, canoes that were made out of stringy bark, paper bark and reed. So, you know, it's, it's, it's different in, in what it's made from, but the, the concepts are the same, exactly the same, and the shape's exactly the same. How powerful is it for it to be made out of something so permanent and placed in the middle of the city? Look, it's going to be lasting, everlasting. So, uh, you know, and a lot of people are going to come up and draw their own conclusion on what it's actually about and what it's going to represent. Um, it's going to be like the one in TMAG. Uh, it's going to be on permanent display for everybody to see. Whereas this one, um, people can sit on it. They can listen to the stories that are associated with it. And they can draw their own conclusions on what the Tasmanian Aboriginal people did with the canoe, you know, how they would have used it to go from one side of the Derwent to the other side of the Derwent. Uh, and not only that, they can, um, as part of the soundscape, they can also, you know, a lot of people don't realise that Tasmania aren't just, weren't just a land-based group of people, but they're also seafarers as well. You know, they travelled to numerous offshore islands, uh, Mariah, Bruni, Matsika, DeWitt, um, Hunter Island and Trefoil on the northwest coast as well. So they, they travelled all over the place in canoes. And there's uh, a recording by the French, I think it was, and I can't remember the year, but they were sailing past and two Aboriginal men were in a canoe. You know, this was about 30 k's offshore. Um, you know, and they, they went out to um, um, Edison Rocks and out to um, Pedro Blanca as well in canoes. And Reddy tells a story of lots of people going out there in canoes but not many coming back um, so you know they were explorers like everybody else you know they wanted to find out what was just over the horizon so and this in its in in its in its form is going to get people thinking about okay now what is the purpose of this canoe in relation to the wreck of the Erebus interestingly when I mean, Franklin in, uh, in Europe is, is known as an explorer. He's not really known as the governor of Tasmania. Um, and uh, he was lost on the British Admiralty mounted a huge amount of expeditions. But Lady Franklin was also, uh, she believed in the kind of whole psychic things. So the, there were lots of narratives about uh, his disappearance and trying to find him where they actually employed psychics to go and look for him. And Dickens even co-wrote a play about it. So... There's an amazing kind of history there, and that's contrasted with the kind of uh, the actual kind of political um, history of things like the Black Wars in Tasmania. So, and it's interesting that the finding of the Erebus, there was a partnership between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Canadians, which resulted in that wreck being found. Well, absolutely, and they probably would have found Franklin and his men alive if they'd believed the Inuit. Um, but they discounted their stories as unreliable. And of course, yeah, in the end, it was uh, Inuit knowledge that led them to the actual wrecks. And, and uh, the kind of contemporary um, Canadians realized that that knowledge has been there all along. And uh, they just basically should have followed, followed what they'd been told. Do you think you'll pick up a copy of Michael Palin's Erebus, having found out so much about it in your time researching this project? Well, I'm sure I will. I've read just about everything else. So, and uh, I, I, um, I, I kind of grew up not watching television, so I didn't really know who Michael Palin was. And 
when someone said he's, he's like on Monty Python, I thought, oh no, that can't be right. He wouldn't write a book on the Erebus. <laughs> but um, the wooden boat, he'd been visiting the wooden boat center here where, where the, the, um, the part of the ship was built. And, uh, and so I did get in touch with him, but he politely declined to be interviewed <laughs> by me anyway. You'd probably have better luck. <laughs> From uh, you know, uh, a national, international perspective, Having something like this so that, uh, you know, international visitors that come in on the cruise ships or fly in will find out a lot more about Tasmanian Aboriginal culture because we've got something that's actually here um, and that's, you know, in its solid form that talks about Tasmanian Aboriginal culture and they can listen to what people have actually got to say about Tasmanian Aboriginal culture as well. While they're getting another one of the essential Instagram shots of Hobart that this will become, they can learn a few things at the same time. They will, rather than just going out to Mona or going to TMAG, you know, they can come up here and they can have a look at this. Say, okay, you know, Tasmanian Aboriginal culture is not dead. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's still alive and it's still thriving. Well, I've just been fascinated about how much relationship there has been between Tasmania and Europe and how global um, a lot of the enterprises were. And I suppose the, the other side is how, how brutal the history has been here as well. And um, how much, probably how much work still needs to be done in terms of reconciling that history. How's it changed the way you feel about Franklin Square? <laughs> Look, it doesn't really. Um, the fact that there's a canoe here doesn't really change my views on what Franklin Square actually represents. Um, you know, and, and it won't change any of the community's views on Franklin Square either, I don't think, because, you know, um, we haven't quite got Franklin overlooking um, the Erebus um, or Crowther. Um, you know, there's still a focal point. Um, whether the canoe is going to make any difference or not, I don't know. You know, it's up to the community to actually, the Tasmanian Aboriginal community, to draw that conclusion themselves. Um, but from my perspective, it won't change my view on, on, on what Franklin Square actually represents. Nigel Hellier and Tony Brown in Franklin Square getting two islands in place. 